Yoshi, uh, I've just seen a picture that has, and I mean this, I'm not just saying this for podcast effects, has very nearly made me physically sick. This is an image of a swarm of bees in the centre of Manchester, Yoshi. Why is that making you feel sick? Why is it not making you feel sick? Well, I come from a, a family where beekeeping is sort of very embedded. My mum would be horrified to hear you say that it makes you physically sick because she actually picks up swarms on a regular basis. Is she nearby? Is she available? <laughs> well, she's not. She's, a, she's hundreds of miles away, but if she were here this bee swarm wouldn't have been sitting there for four days, which is an absolute disgrace. Someone should have picked it up and uh, helped it out. We'll find out more about that on this week's episode of the Manchester Weekly from the Mill. Hello there. Welcome to this week's episode of the Manchester Weekly from the Mill with me, Daryl Morris, and Yoshi Herman, the editor of Manchester's quality newspaper delivered by email, the Mill, uh, in the newsroom today, Yoshi. In the newsroom, very near the beehive. I think you should say beekeeper as well when you introduce me in the future. That's <laughs> Editor, come beekeeper. You are actually quite close to the, the swarm of bees in the centre of Manchester, aren't you? I've just realised that. Yeah, a couple of streets away. A couple of streets away. Okay. Um, rather you than me, friend. Rather you than me. Uh, we'll talk more about that in a little bit. And also, what's going on in Oldham? An update on a story that we uh, we have been following very, very keenly. You've been tipped off about um, a new element, potentially, to the story of conspiracy and division in Oldham. We'll get to that before the end of this week's podcast. Uh, Yoshi, let's start with uh, big news. It's been uh, a heck of a year of sport. Fierce and grueling competitions. The Women's Euros in full swing. The Commonwealth Games around the corner. The Men's World Cup later this year, and the Tory Party Leadership Contest as well, sort of maybe. Uh, it's been a, only been a week so far, but lots of sort of full, full-throated blue on blue, and lots of talk of tax cuts, Yoshi. But we've got our ear tuned, haven't we, to uh, those two important words: leveling up. Yeah, we do, and 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 you'd have to have your ear very well tuned to pick up that word or that phrase or that policy agenda in this contest because as I think you know we predicted as we wrote on on the mail last week the battle to be conservative leader is leading a lot of candidates to promise tax cuts and to promise a smaller state and as we both know leveling up was a very ambitious idea that if executed properly would have required hundreds of billions of pounds of public investment of the sort that you know was invested in the east of germany after reunification and the fact that we've now got all these leaning candidates promising tax cuts doesn't bode well for that kind of agenda um, in the next couple of years Mm. And so what have we been hearing then, aside from tax cuts, has anybody mentioned uh, levelling up or investment in communities in the north in any way? Yeah, Tom Tugendhat, the one who's on the kind of centre-left of the Tory party, he's been talking a little bit more about it. He's, he's, he's um, probably someone who activists and who think tank people who are involved in levelling up and who are involved in regional policy do have a little bit more faith in that he would he would care about that agenda. Penny Mordaunt has come out with this idea this week of social capital pots in which you, you can effectively MPs would get to dish out cash in their own constituency, which has been like roundly mocked. Um, Henry Morrison from the Northern Powerhouse, he said it's a, 
a, a deeply flawed idea. And he said, why can't she instead make good on the 2019 Conservative Manifesto pledge to, at a minimum, match the EU structural funds, um, which the new Shared Prosperity Fund is replacing? So kind of like, can we just at least promise that we're going to do as much investment across the country as the EU did in, in, with those funds? Um, someone else said... Um, you know, this is the kind of idea that shows the kind of lack of strategic thinking that's going on about about regional economics. I think there's the other problem with that idea is that it just seems very open to fraud, doesn't it? It seems very open to corruption. If you're giving each MP pots of cash that they can distribute, that's not really what their job is supposed to be. It's not really what they're trained to do. There are an awful lot of MPs to keep an eye on. So that doesn't seem like a great idea. But the lack of talking about levelling up in this contest probably has something to do with the fact that members don't seem to think it's very important. If you, There was a poll of, of, of Conservative Party members that someone tweeted which showed that when they were asked, would you prefer government spending to equally prioritise all parts of the UK or government spending to prioritise left-behind areas in the North and the Midlands, 61% said prioritise all parts of the UK, 31% said the North and the Midlands. So there's a strong sort of constituency for for saying we should not be doing this kind of levelling up agenda and this rebalancing of the economy. And, um, you know, candidates are probably very aware of that. Mm. And obviously playing to that electorate, selectorate. Um, there was a, the, uh, by the way, the Prime Minister mentioned levelling up in Prime Minister's questions this week, yesterday, as it stands, and saying that the, the next fund will open in the autumn, although he won't be around, I don't suppose, to, to shepherd it through. And therefore, I guess it's all to play for. There was an extraordinary point as well, wasn't there, this time last week when the resignation started to tumble. And at one point, I think I think at the point at which the levelling up fund closed, this current round closed, there was one minister in the levelling up department. <laughs> Michael Gove had obviously gone and several ministers around him. There was one junior minister in the entire department. And so everybody, of course, was very unsure at that point as to what was going on. We'll keep an eye on that and we'll um, we'll keep an eye on what the eventual victor uh, has to say about that kind of thing too. One thing I would um, throw in here is that after I wrote that piece last week about levelling up, I got an email from someone who works at the Department of Levelling Up as a civil servant um, who must read the mail. And that person said, actually, I think levelling up is now sort of baked into our processes, into government processes about how you decide where money gets spent, how you work out the rationale for investment. And that person said, I think you might find that it continues within the institutions of government a little bit more than you would imagine, even if it's not something that the the party leader talks about a lot. So that's an interesting perspective from from a mill reader. Yeah, very good. Good insight. More of that, please, if you're willing to give us some insights like that. Um, Okay, let's move on, Yoshi, to another story that we've been hearing more and more about. This is kind of policy-based and a bit of capital P, lowercase p politics involved in it. Uh, Ambulance delays and NHS services struggling to keep up. And speaking of insights, you got a tip-off, didn't you, this week, Yoshi, about gaps in 999 call handlers? That's right. So we haven't done anything on the ambulance stuff this week, but obviously that's like a big problem that everyone's talking about. The bit that we've been reporting on is the fact that police officers in GMP, in Greater Manchester Police, have been redeployed to answer 999 calls. That doesn't mean respond to calls like by going out and like dealing with the criminality or, or whatever it is, the emergency. It's to do with actual officers having to do that. We were told about this by a reader. Greater Manchester Police confirmed the story, said it was a, a temporary measure. Um, they've moved 40 officers over into this what they call the force contact center 
And it's worth remembering that the reason they're taking these measures is because they were doing really badly on this measure. The average amount of time that it took to get an answer when your call was going through to the police from 999 was a minute and a half. And and that was last year. Um, I think that has now gone down right down to 17 seconds. So they've made a they've made a lot of investment in this area. But a a police officer who we spoke to did admit, you know, a chief superintendent did admit, you know, GMP massively underinvested in the number of people to deal with daily demand. So demand is very high. They didn't have enough money in it. And I think the fact that they're having to put serving officers, some of whom are actually fit for the front line, they're having to move those people over, shows that they are struggling to recruit and that they are going through some quite radical kind of changes in order to try and make, you know, GMP fit for purpose. So, yeah, it might might be one to keep an eye on because I think it's a nice little insight into how the police is is trying to change. Mm, Very interesting. Yeah, there's also a story knocking about today on a national level about only calling 999 if you're in a genuine emergency as well. So it gives you a bit of an insight into the the sort of pressures, I suppose, on those services at the moment. Um, Okay, let's return as well, Yoshi, to a story that we covered on last week's episode. This is the case of a group of young black men from Manchester who were jailed for conspiracy to murder because of their involvement in a WhatsApp group. You might remember the Manchester Central Labour MP Lucy Powell raising concerns with Dominic Raab, who I think is still Justice Secretary, that these boys were jailed simply because because of their company, the company they keep, and the, the music that they listen to. Today, Yoshi, we take a look at how the media coverage of that story might have influenced some thinking. Yeah, our story about this case, which we published this week for Mill members, was less about the legal arguments, which were very well covered in The Guardian by Helen Pidd recently, and more about the media coverage of this case. It was a long trial and it was a really complex case you've got some individuals involved in it who did commit violence there were some individuals in it who were kind of tangentially related to committing violence like picking up weapons and that kind of thing and then there were four young black men involved in this case who did not have any involvement in violence whatsoever whether it was weapons or anything else and they took part in this effectively a kind of group chat. They sent messages, not very many, in a very short window of time, soon after their friend had been murdered. And in those messages, they were saying very hot-headed things about things they wanted to do and revenge they wanted to get and who they should target and that kind of thing. But these men did not go on to commit any violent offences. And they are now going to prison for very long jail terms. And I think that's where the legal controversy has come from. As we talked about last week, the media controversy is, did the local media cover this case in a way that actually allowed readers to understand those points? Did the, did local readers in Manchester get the chance to understand the nuances here, that there were different types of defendants who had different, done different types of things? Or did they just get an impression that this group of young black men were a criminal gang who had who who went out to avenge their friend? That's kind of what this comes down to. Mm. There, there was a headline in particular, wasn't there, that you were that was pointed out to you by a, a, a local activist, which you know perhaps makes some assumptions in it. Is that right? Yeah. So so the crux of the criticism of the MEN, of the Manchester Evening News in this particular case, is that they gave most of their coverage at the beginning of the trial and at the end, but which means you get the prosecution opening 
and you get the convictions and sentencing, but you don't really understand the nuances of the defense argument. The headline you're talking about was one that cast these young men as a gang. It was criticized on the day that it was published. And then the headline the next day, describing the the rest of the prosecution's opening, had been had a, a sort of a subtle change to it in that it referred to an alleged um, gang. And then the, the intro did the same. So clearly the MEN had realized that just sort of credulously reporting exactly what the prosecution has said, which is normally what court reporting is. But in this case, they clearly recognized that there were sensitivities around calling this group a gang. It was an unproven allegation at that point, And that actually, you've got to be a bit more careful about how you headline these things. Court reporting is about reporting exactly what the jury hears on, on, on a given day in court. But you get to choose as an editor how you how you you know use photos how you use a headline and it was clearly they had made that adjustment there the overall criticism is that they allowed the public to see this framing of these young men as this big criminal gang and then that they didn't follow much of the defense and that means that the arguments that were made later in the case didn't come through and that the public would have got a mistaken impression of, of, of who these people were until the sentencing. Now, that's the, that's the very interesting argument that Jack Delhunty got into, into this piece this week. I've subsequently had uh, tweets from journalists who said, yeah, look, this is a, a problem in, you know, in journalism that we generally don't have the resources to cover every single day. So we tend to cover the opening bits. But that does mean that we as a society are constantly being fed the narratives that are being built by the prosecution. And we are not hearing the sort of pains taking work to give us the nuance and the complexity and to pull apart those arguments that, that the defense barristers put on so i think it's a really interesting point very interesting how fascinating an important point to make as well uh, on sunday's episode by the way of the manchester weekly from the mill uh, jack dalhanty will be taking us into some of his reporting in Mossai. he spent some time with a group who work with youths who've been uh, victims of trauma around violence and gun violence. And present in that story is also how those communities are depicted in news media and and, uh, contributing as it does to sometimes a bit of a cycle, a vicious cycle. Uh, That's on Sunday's episode of the Manchester Weekly from the Mill. Really worth listening to. And while we're um, casting our eye, Yoshi, over a couple of bits that we like to keep an eye on, tabs on around Greater Manchester, Oldham is back in our sights. A Mill reader has tipped you off about a potential new element to the story of conspiracy and division in Oldham. Yeah, someone sent me a couple of text messages which had photos of flyers by a far-right group called Patriotic Alternative. This is a a group that was started up by a a neo-Nazi activist. They're very racist, they're very anti-Semitic. And these flyers are apparently being distributed in Oldham. These flies, for obvious reasons, are about child abuse, you know, cover-ups and, and in grooming gangs and the idea that the, you know, the council is covering up these things. Um, there's no evidence that that's been happening in, on, on any large scale in Oldham, as we've talked about before. Raja Mia, the online activist, has been spreading the idea that there is a mass grooming problem in Oldham, but there's frankly no evidence for that. And the recent um, official report, uh, Independent uh, Assurance Review, actually found that there was not evidence for that and there was not evidence for any sort of cover-up. But clearly, Patriotic Alternative, this far-right group, are jumping on the bandwagon here. Their flyers say the reason for these cover-ups is no doubt the ethnic component of these crimes. And and, and it says that the scandal, which is mainly addressed nationally, it doesn't have any particular local Oldham content in the flyer, says... 
it exposes the lengths that the establishment will go in order to protect their multicultural project from criticism. So someone at this far-right group has decided that, that what Raj Amir is whipping up in Oldham is a recruitment opportunity for them. And remember, in Oldham, the BNP did pretty well after the 2001 riots. Not for very long, but Nick Griffin actually did pretty well um, for a brief period there. So these old wounds are, you know, are, are being reopened by by patriotical alternative, and I'm sure other far-right um, activists will come in as well. We'll watch how that story unfolds. If you want some more context to it, by the way, we recorded a special episode of the Manchester Weekly dedicated to the uh, ins and outs of what's happening in Oldham. You can find that on your podcast feed, just a little bit further down. And on a lighter note, Yoshi, I was well, I was going to say lighter note, but actually this is truly, this might be the most, the, the most horrifying story that we've uh, dealt with in a while, as so far as I'm concerned. A massive swarm of bees in the city centre remarkably close to where you are right now where you are in the mill office and how calm you are remaining i'm astonished by well i've grown up actually with having um bees flying around and swarming and all that sort of thing because my mum is a beekeeper amateur beekeeper and she um she's always you know catching swarms and 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 she actually deals with all her swarms without wearing any protective equipment so she's completely nuts but yeah i I don't find it horrifying at all we've stolen all the habitats of these creatures and um, killed them all with our pesticides utterly ruined their immune systems by spraying our crops with horrible inhuman chemicals and um, yeah, and, and now they're you know they're now they're in our city centre trying to find somewhere to live. The actual interesting thing about bees is that most people think they need to live in hives and you know have your white hives and have people in white suits coming and taking them. But actually, what bees really want is a really natural environment. A lot of the living very high up in trees. Um, there's why a lot of um, natural beekeepers are now kind of just investing in creating very, very natural looking hives and putting them very high in trees and then leaving the bees completely. Because what the bees don't want is us coming in every every year, taking all their honey away, giving them horrible replacement sugar and um, letting them to sort of die and catch all these diseases over the, over the winter. So yeah, I've got total sympathy with these bees. We are the villains. They are not. And if anyone out there um, wants to get involved in natural beekeeping, look it up because that's how the this huge crisis of all the bees dying will be solved so ha, you weren't expecting that rant but <laughs> no fair enough fair enough and fair play to the bees who are reclaiming the streets as their own so yeah all right fair, fair play um, um okay that's you briefed okay yoshi you are in the mill newsroom this week what's going on around you my friend what are you working on well, we're keeping an eye on this legal challenge to Andy Burnham's bus reforms, because you know that's a topic close to my heart. And this is a, a final sort of high court challenge by one of the bus companies to see if, if the way that Andy Burnham decided to franchise the bus system will actually hold up. But the thing that we're kind of working on in an editing sense is Alex King, who appeared on the podcast last week, talking about low traffic neighbourhoods. He has now finished his big piece for us about that. He's focusing on the one in Presswich, but he also talks about um, the one in Levenshume. He's got some interesting new details about the one in Presswich, actually, which he didn't mention on the podcast. So that's going to be our weekend read. Um, it's going to be a really good piece. He, he's gone to about five different parties to get the response and that kind of thing. And that'll be, that'll be coming out this weekend. Lovely. Excellent. And um, a nod for something to do around the weekend. Yoshi, what else is going on? Well, if people haven't been to the British art show yet, I think that's interesting and worth going along to. I've been only along to the one that is at Manchester Art Gallery, which I wasn't blown away by, but I thought was sort of interesting. But they've also got some works at home, 
Castlefield Gallery and the Whitworth. Um, Phil Griffin's actually writing a review of that show for us, and it goes on till the 4th of September. It's been going on um, since the 27th of May, so some listeners might have been along to it already. But it's, supposed, it's, it's got a few sort of overarching themes, but it's effectively, you know, artists who are you know contemporary artists adapting to local context so manchester wolverhampton aberdeen and plymouth are the are the places where it's going it says in manchester the exhibition will engage with the evolving nature of work and the ongoing struggle to shape a new social contract to be honest i didn't totally pick up on that theme while i was walking around but um it's definitely one that um, people can go to across those um, four different venues Lovely. Uh, my shout for the weekend is, I've got two actually, if you'll allow. Hale Barnes Carnival is happening this weekend in Hale Barnes, remarkably. They've got an entertainment stage and maker's market and food village and stuff. Looks like just a nice place to go down with the family, really. Saturday, Sunday, 12 till 4. And this one's a little bit more left field as part of the Greater Manchester Fringe Festival. Migrant Shakespeare, which is actually being streamed. It's not in Manchester, but it's been streamed all month from Edinburgh. Uh, so you can, you can watch it at home, which is not quite the same, but it is part of Manchester's Fringe Festival and it looks really interesting it's sort of a new spin on Shakespeare with iconic characters given a new life Hamlet is a a meatpacker, King Lear is a construction worker, Lady Macbeth is a housewife looking after her children and yeah and it sort of puts an an interesting spin on and you know has a lot to say for itself Uh, Migrant Shakespeare, you can find out more greatermanchesterfringe.co.uk is where you have a look at that and everything else that's going on as part of Greater Manchester Fringe that's it from us for this week, we are back in your feed on Sunday, don't forget, with another deep dive into a fascinating story from Greater Manchester. The Mill is worth a read as well. Get it into your inbox. Some news, events, and other deep dives into stories. ManchesterMill.co.uk is where you subscribe. Yoshi for now, thank you. Thanks.